It's those cold moments that creep and slither under the skin of happiness that haunt. They haunt like reluctant ghosts. They haunt like snow on the ground on a cold day. It's those moments when you're playing, then you're play fighting, then you're just fighting. It's the quiet moments after the thunder, the moments behind slammed doors, that you start wondering where all the feelings you feel come from. Are they new, something coming from a bad day? Or are they old, festering like mold or a wound, seeping into the corners of your mind and heart for months? Over a cold beer and a cigarette, you sit and pummel yourself to find the answers. They don't come. They'll never come. Happy birthday. Welcome to Passive Aggressive 101. It's when she doesn't order you the drink you said you wanted. Besides, all you really needed was a cigarette. Shoes don't seem that important. They are. They make you think that you can run far away from the gentle sobbing you can hear on the other side of the door. You didn't mean to hit her. It was a knee-jerk reaction. You are sorry. You're sorry you took off your shoes and now it feels like you can't leave. You've never thought about shoes before. Now, it's all you ever will. It's the moment when you say how you feel that are worse than the moments you don't. It's odd how either light or dark can blind you. It's the strange and rare moments in dusk or twilight that we all seek. It's when the sun rises or falls when we could be truly happy. It's the moment when the misunderstanding, simple and small, makes a rift that seems insurmountable. Heated stares and chilly words with icicles hanging from their tips are exchanged hastily. Sometimes it feels like being on a small boat amidst a great roiling sea with a savage storm caterwauling and clawing at the defenseless vessel, trying to drown it for its own reasons. It's the moment when the silence betrays more than words ever would, even on a phone on a cold night, when one small thing, a wish, a desire, a hope, comes to burn a tedious paradise down, raised, charred. When going home won't feel like it will in the movies, It'll feel like dead man walking, like gallows, like a firing squad will be waiting. But it won't really be. She'll be asleep, and that's worse. Then it gets to fester, like a sore, like cancer. Tom waits, bad liver, and a broken heart is playing, and the cigarettes are waiting patiently like a well-trained pet. Somewhere in the back of my head, a mantra-like prayer keeps repeating like it was a broken record. I pray no one feels like me, ever. Bad poetry is on the tip of every one of my fingers. The music takes the place of uneasily understood emotion. I don't know if I want to cry or sleep or drink. It's only been this bad once before. That was for the better. This? This is I don't even know what. I just want to clutch my fist tight and hold on to life that I used to have. I'll probably crush the life clean out of it. And if, if I tighten up any more, Tinder 6 starts playing now and my chest seizes up. Something soft and vulnerable gets stuck in my throat. I swallow hard twice, and it slides down and settles on my heart. The prayer recycles itself, and spiritualized Baby Stop Your Crying Now comes on the radio. I start thinking of someone far away, and my breath feels like it weighs something impossible. I think of sand in an hourglass. I think of water slipping through dirty cracks in a sidewalk. I think about the stem of a wild rose. I can't stop wringing my hands, nervously. Ruby Tuesday by the Rolling Stones now. The cello part burns its way into my brain. I thought I could do this. I thought I was the strong one. No, I'm not. I thought I could stand and weather this. I thought wrong. It's the moment you wait four hours. It's sleeping on an uncomfortable couch and waiting for her to come out and tell you it's all right. Come to bed. Let's share the sunrise. 
It's the moment when you wake up where you fell asleep and the sunrise is just as lonely as you knew it would be. It's the moment, the split second, the sharp gasp before the bullet hits the bone. Fast hot metal pulps tender insides made warm and vulnerable. Over the years, the armor worn and shinked, if not gone completely, unwillingly, and stupidly. It's the moment that, that's been long coming and seems so fucking obvious that it blindsides you without a hint, a clue, a warning, a subtle whisper. Just a loud bang and the promise of a puckered scar that reminds you for the rest of your life that pain hurts and it was a lesson you should have known, but you had to learn. That was Colder Moments. I'm Doug, and this is Mr. Wright. Now, there's going to be a preface to this episode that Colder Moments actually shouldn't have been the piece I read for this. It's the one I prepared for this, and you'll find out why throughout the episode. But really, I should have done uh, a poem called uh, Amber Tinted Angel, uh, which was my ode to whiskey. But I thought Colder Moments kind of struck a different tone. Um, I think I originally had thought of it... um, and, and last week I did poetry as well, so maybe it's a good thing, happy accident that I always talk about, that I did Colder Moments. Colder Moments was written without the knowledge of one of my then-girlfriends, um, because she and I were both, uh, still are, big Neil Gaiman fans, and he had put in this story uh, that I believe was the introduction to Smoke and Mirrors, where... It was very much this woman, like, writing down in a diary, like, you know, kind of a a Dorian Gray-esque portrait of what her life could have been like, and it kept her life, like, happy, Uh, even though in the book, uh, in the the diary, the the terrible things were happening to the marriage and the children and and whatnot, Um, and I liked that idea so much that I would write these weird things, the the cold moments, uh, whenever she and I would fight. Which makes it sound very... Some of that is, is fictionalized. Uh, I never hit her. But it makes it sound like we fought constantly. We didn't. We went out for two and a half years. It's just that when you put them all together, it seems like, holy shit, that must that was probably a really rough six months for somebody. So I want to preface that. And secondly, why I should have picked Amber Tinted Angel, my ode to whiskey, is because this episode is about drinking and writing. I am a huge fan of hard drinking, hard living, hard smoking writers. Uh, Brandon Bahan, Hunter S. Thompson, Warren Ellis, uh, even musically, uh, Warren Zevon, The Stones, are just to name a few. So my influences have always been been drawn, even um, poems, uh, Bukowski, uh, Hard Living, um, well, Brandon Bahan as well, the playwright, Hemingway to some extent, I'm trying to think of some others, I, I'll probably think of them as, as I go talk through this episode, but there are... <sighs> Is there a correlation between alcohol um, or drugs, but specifically drinking, drinking and creativity? I believe, I don't want to misattribute this. I want to say it was Hemingway that said that he wasn't a writer with a drinking problem. He was a drinker with a writing problem. Um, Ah, see, Edgar Allan Poe's another one. I'll just keep thinking of him. Uh, I'll try to interject those randomly. It's weird. I've always been, I don't know what has drawn me to them. Um, I know I talked about Burroughs last week. I can't stop doing it. Is there a correlation? Should, right, you know, I mean, if if you can drink and write and, and not get, like, well, there's the whole thing about how Stephen King, who I love as well, doesn't remember writing Cujo, and that, you know, they had, they cleaned out his, uh, his writing room, his office, and it was nothing but, like, cigarette butts, uh, Coke vials, and empty, like, beer cans, and, you know, he realized he had to stop. 
Um, and he talked about how he had writer's block after that. I don't, I'm of two minds. I can play devil's advocate. I know that I, I like to sit down with a glass of scotch when I write journalism. I know that, you know, when I, I worked on my first novel, I pretty much wrote it at a bar. I think that led to some really good stuff. And I think it led to parts where I'm like, I need to completely redo this because it's missing words, the syntax bad. Um, stuff like that. I found that sometimes I'd have brain, these like, you know, brainstorm ideas and, and lightning epiphanies and go, oh my God, this is great. And then I would wake up the next morning, look at it and go, fuck, I remember I had a really good idea for this and now I don't know where it's going. So there are downsides. Um, obviously, Stephen King wrote a New York Times bestselling, you know, book, that became a movie uh, in a blackout drunk. But... Then again, like, can, I think it's, it's, it's subjective. And I think that I'm, I've read so many people that are hard living that I've just kind of convinced myself I can do it too. Sometimes, uh, with a plum results and sometimes not. Like I said, I wrote my first novel, you know, at a bar. I wouldn't say like blackout drunk, but I you know, I probably had a couple beers, a couple shots while I was writing, you know, um, a chapter or two or working on notes for something. I mean, this network was was based on the idea of of drinking, you know, on air and and completely unfiltered. And I think in that, yeah, I think it kind of might relax you a little and go, okay, that blank page isn't as intimidating as I think it is. And you know, I've talked about how different ways of, of dealing with writer's block and maybe drinking. I go, you know, I'm not feeling project A. I'm gonna go project B. As I've grown as a writer, I, I'll i have drinks if I'm working on something short. Um, something that can be, boom, quick burst of creativity. But anything long form, if, if I have to really sit down and focus, I, I can't do it. Um, one, the drinking eliminates, eventually erodes um, my focus. And that's just the reality of it. Um, I start getting distracted by the internet or um, TV and I go, well, I've done enough, and it's very easy to convince yourself of things when, when you're drunk or had a few drinks. But like I said, I, I, I'm of two minds, because sometimes I'll have drinks, and it, um, it relaxes me to the point where I'm not intimidated, and my brain kind of lubricates itself. I mean, it's called a social lubricant for a reason, that I can kind of take down like the filter and go, okay, character A is doing this. Now what? And then I go, you know, fuck it, like, just go, just go, just go, just go, uh, and barrel through it. So if it works for you, it works for you. If it doesn't, then don't. Now drugs, whole nother story. I think it works for a lot less people than you think. Um, I I was going to bring up some examples of uh, like uh, famous writers and their drinks, like, you know, Hemingway liked, um, you know, I, I think it was whiskey. Uh, Poe was actually... <laughs> Poe was like absinthe and laudanum. You know, they had like, uh, I think Oscar Wilde preferred like chilled champagne or some bullshit like that. Uh, that's Oscar Wilde, who I'm a big, I like, but um, I think he had a rare and unique wit. Um, and I think that kind of wit only comes from being drunk, honestly. But Hunter Thompson, I mean, known for massive amounts of drug taking. But you know what? I think he wrote drunk, but I think he, the experiences he ended up writing about while drunk happened on drugs. So I don't think he wrote on drugs as much as people like to think he did. 
Uh, I have written a few things on drugs, most of it uh, the ramblings of a mental patient. Um, there was one that, that was really cool um, that I don't really want to get into the story of necessarily. Or maybe I do, if you'd like to hear it. Uh, basically, I found a uh, like a film canister, the old, back when there was film, for cameras, a uh, black film canister of what we only knew as big red pills. Um, I had a friend with a pharmaceutical dictionary that we couldn't match and we didn't know what they did. Um, that we figured out there were some kind of um, antipsychotic. So, of course, I took a handful of them because I was young and stupid and made of rubber and courage. And I, you know, ended up uh, very fucked up um, and and writing um, this weird story of the people upstairs and spiders with pretzel legs. It was, I mean, it was really cool. I mean, it was very psychedelic, very Burroughs, very beat poetry, which was ironic since I'm not a huge fan of the beat poets. But it was, you know, and I went, okay, cool. And I've always said I want to do hallucinogens twice uh, before I die, uh, once to enjoy it and once to write, um, since I'm not as young and fucked up, and I think I can probably handle it, and hopefully, you know, like, not go, oh, shit, the keyboard's, well, once the keyboard's melting, I'll stop. But, you know, drugs, I, I don't, I don't see it. I don't, you know, I, I don't like writing on drugs, but drinking, which is what this episode is about, I think can help and hinder you. I mean, I think... I'm not talking like you got a bottle of wild turkey, you know, 151 and you're getting, or 101 and you're, and you're just slamming the bottle and I think, you know, not only going to end up dead eventually somehow, but I don't think you're going to come up with anything coherent. Um, but like I said, you know, beer and a shot, a couple beers, you know, it might just loosen you up and relax you enough that you're not intimidated by the blank page. You're not intimidated by writer's block, and you might kind of go, eh, you know, I don't feel like writing, like I said, Project A, but you go, ah, oh, Project B's kind of neat, or like, let's poke around the idea dump and, you know, see if there's something that I can work on that's, you know, been bugging me, um, or return to another project, um, or write something, like I said, like, short, quick burst, um, I like the idea of, um, what do they call that, flash, flash fiction or tweet fiction, where it's, tweet fiction is, um, basically a snippet of a story or you know, the, the bulk of the story in 140 characters. Uh, flash fiction, I love doing the flash fictions on uh, back in the days of MySpace, where I would ask my friends for um, basically a title no longer than four words and a word to use in the piece itself. And um, I would write this, like, flash fiction, which was, like, no longer than, like, three sentences. Um, it was really cool. I liked doing that. But anything, like, like a short story, I could probably I could bang out drunk. I, I wouldn't feel terrible about, you know, not getting the word count out on that. Um, I'm going to be working on the next season of Black Falls, and we're going to be... I need to talk to them about this, but we're going to be writing a new podcast um, together that, um, you know, I think you know we'll probably drink while we're doing it, but it's going to be collaborative, so we've got each other as safety nets. And that's also, you know, nice if you have a co-writer that, you know, goes, uh that doesn't work, and I say, or I say, that doesn't work, um, to, to act as uh, safety nets. So, like I said, bottom line, if it works for you, great. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. There's no need to feel bad. I don't I don't think it ultimately makes you creative. I, I don't think that. I think it might make it easier for you to be creative some days, but for the most part, if you're creative, you're going to be creative sober or drunk. That's the end-all be-all. And that's Mr. Wright. I'm Doug. Remember, 
If you keep writing, they'll keep reading. Right on. If you like this, check out some of our other shows like D20 Proof, Knapsack Comedy, and Mr. Right. You can find us at www.bacnpodcast.com and by searching for BACN on iTunes and Stitcher. Oh, yeah.